At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. For those just joining us, the freight market is still pretty rough. Now, it's great if you're a shipper looking to save cost, but it's not so great if you're the one looking for things to move. Now, talking about the challenges, of course, a big challenge is for operators in this space is what is the playbook? How does it change? And should you have had a playbook to begin with? Because if you're figuring it out now, that's not very good. Now that the freight market, though, is more sour than a potato salad left out at a 4th of July cookout, what does it take for logistics and trucking companies to thrive in this adversity? Well, folks, it's your lucky day because we're going to find out in this episode of Loaded and Rolled. Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Watson. A little bit delayed on the hand swipe. We'll work on that in the next episode. It's hard work to run a trucking company, and it's just as hard to work in logistics that attempts to mesh the demands of shippers with the needs of carriers. Now, during a tight market where freight flows endlessly, carriers and broker strategies mimic that of a person in one of those money boxes where you attempt to catch as much flying cash in the air as possible, but before the time runs out. But to continue my metaphor, this money machine is now gone and carriers used to the boom times are now dealing with a freight bus that has seen volumes plummet back down to earth. Now, for those operators left in this space, it does require a new approach as margins are tight, competition is fierce, and customers who are used to being the second fiddle to rates are now finally in control of their own destiny. What a great feeling. But dear listeners, do not fret. Today, we're going to dive deeper into how to adapt to changing markets. Joining me to talk about overcoming the freight market blues is Manny McElroy, Senior Vice President of Transportation at ITS Logistics. For those of you who don't know, ITS Logistics was founded in 1999 as decades of experience in asset light transportation, drayage, intermodal, expedited, dedicated, and other transportation solutions. Welcome. Hey, Thomas, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure, pleasure to have you on as well. I know right now we are definitely singing the freight blues, and I don't know if it's Memphis style or if we're kicking into some more uh, blue note potentially. Uh, diving in, you know, tell us first a little bit about yourself, what ITS does, and some of your experience. Yeah, uh, well, I've been at ITS. It's my eleventh year. Uh, I'm the senior vice president of transportation. Uh, ITS really is a you know one stop shop when you look at it from the uh, entire logistics industry. Uh, we do quite a bit of our uh, transportation is drayage, port drayage, inland drayage, and also over the road domestic transportation. Uh, we have dedicated fleet. We also have about four and a half million square feet of warehousing in three different locations across the country. So uh, really heavily focused on uh, service and uh, communication. And I always think it's awesome because when you talk to like a pure play company, if it's only trucking or only logistics or only warehousing, you really don't get the kind of full spectrum experience to find out like end to end what you're dealing with. And talking about, you know, how do we overcome this market? One of the big things is relationships. Now, from my experience, preface, 
Uh, relationships is normally who's yelling at who at the moment and who has the ability to yell at the other person. <laughs> Dive into right now, given that we're in the summer doldrums, what do relationships look like at this this stage? You know, I mean, so many people talk about it's a, it's a shipper's market right now. I know customers are in control. So, you know, for, for us here at ITS, I mean, what we did last year, the year before when it was a carrier's market is really playing out in how you're being treated from your shippers right now. And that really comes from, you know, building that trust when uh, technically the carriers were in control, right? When rates were at all time high and you can easily go into the spot market and capture, uh, you know, high revenue, high margin dollars. So um, from us, I mean, what you what you put in over those those years when it was a carrier market, where you up late at night, where you answering those phone calls, where you stick into your dedicated contracts, has really allotted the opportunity to be able to continue to take market share, um, you know, in a down market. So it's it's consistently building that trust and uh, being available for for your customers. There's some really cool research. Uh, the folks at MIT had talked about it, and it talked about who remembers in terms of relationships. And they called the carriers goldfish and the shippers elephants because the studies showed that the shippers would typically remember over the course of years while the carriers like, oh, crap, I, I barely got six months ahead. I'm looking at the ground. Um, in that experience, uh, how many folks did you see try to just take advantage and throw relationships away? Or was this something where uh, being in the space, uh, how hard was it to maintain that discipline? We know that money's just flowing out of the, the the crevices at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone that's been in the industry for, you know, uh, over a decade has seen the ebbs and flows uh, of the market. And I think that that's, uh, that's detrimental. You can't, you can't look over to make a quick buck in this industry and then not know that it's going to come full swing to where you're going to have to, you know, have those relationships. And I agree. I, mean, I think a lot of people um, coming during the COVID times, everyone talks about that to where it was there, there was a lot of uncertainty. And then when the market started increasing in the e-com space, a lot of people grasped onto those, those high paying spot loads and kind of left a lot of the customers that gave them consistent business in the dust. And, um, you know, it's for me, I wish that everyone would be on the same page in regards to being a carrier or a shipper, because, um, those that, uh, like you said, you, the metaphor of the goldfish that are, you know, quick, you know, slow-minded of, of not paying attention to the long-term, those ones that kind of get put in a bind in a down market. And I remember I've had some instances, at least from full truckload, where uh, you would, you try to maintain your regular relationships, but if your customer mix wasn't good, uh, then, you know, was this a situation where if you knew you were kind of a bad shipper, did you see any of them actually try a lot harder or is this my biggest thing that I don't hear about is I wonder if the customers who had bad habits and were very bad at relationships now that the market is soft, I wonder if they're going back to their old ways or if they kind of had to learn and adjust their habits over the past two years when they couldn't find traps. Uh, you know, I think there's a there's a happy medium between the two. I think there's there's customers that got burned significantly um, over the past couple of years. And what you're seeing from them now is they're looking at it like, I'm going to take advantage of the market. I'm going to go for the lowest cost dollar. I'm going to play the spot market because spot market rates are lower than contracted rates. But you also have the customers that got burned in the past that are saying, I don't want to go through that again. So the only way to not go through that again is to have good relationships, a trusting relationship with your service providers to know that when the market does come full circle, you know, that they're going to give you equal, you know, equal rates and give you good service because Right now, any shipper can go to the market and uh, get the same rate they're getting from a, a carrier that's been, you know, longstanding with them. But do they want to play that game, knowing that the market might come full swing, you know, back in the next year? So, looking at relationships, before we move on to our next topic, green flags and red flags. If I'm a shipper and I'm looking at 
evaluating my current relationship because it feels that way in freight. You call them up, you talk to them more than you talk to your spouses sometimes. I've had that happen. I've had carriers where it's like, hey, I've talked to you a lot. Um, what are some green flags in terms of what looks good in a relationship right now? And then what are some red flags where if I'm a carrier, maybe I'm doing this, I may need to change. You know, for, for us, it's it's transparency. I mean, that goes both ways from a shipper and from a carrier. I mean, we try to be fully transparent in regards to, you know, how we run our model, what we do from a transportation standpoint to our customers, uh, the pricing that we come up with. And, you know, with that said, it's like we're not going to sit here and say, hey, we're going to be the cheapest price that comes in on RFPs. And I think that to me, for a shipper to a carrier, that's a red flag. If you're having new carriers come in and they're, they're you know, percentage points lower than your incumbent carriers, that is a red flag to me because there's a lot of carriers right now that are giving paper rates, thinking that when the market does turn around, well, I can at least go back to the customer and ask for a higher increase rate. Um, and there's a lot of that going on because people just are trying to get the business. So I think from a shipper, you really have to know the market and be able to trust your current providers to give you market intel on where the rates are at and if you're getting, uh, you know, getting paper rates. I think that's really interesting because I saw that conversation with a 4PL one time. I was doing a brokerage and we were doing an RFP and we came in dirty cheap to try and to try and secure it. But actually the 4PL came back and even though we had the relationship with a carpet shipper, the 4PL was like, bro, I can't take you. I'm not going to send you anything because our matrix is skewered. Is that something a lot of folks don't consider is they just fire from the hip and they forget that, well, you're still not going to win it because maybe another party is going to gatekeep you? Absolutely. Um, you got to think 4PLs are the, the in-between, the, you know, the BCO and the actual maybe transportation provider. And if those transportation providers are not sticking to their dedicated rates, that's a that's a bad look on 4PLs. So a lot of people talk about the shipper, you know, that the end user, the BCO is like, oh, they got they got kind of hosed in the bad market. But a lot of these 4PLs that manage the transportation or manage the RFPs, they were just in the same boat as some of these BCOs to where it shined a very bad light on them as well. If, if the carriers that they picked out wasn't, weren't able to adhere to the rates they submitted. That's one of those things that keeps me up at night. I'm literally glad I don't have to do pricing at the moment, but let's switch gears a minute about technology. Uh, Freightwaves talks about technology a lot, freight tech. I can tell you five different TMSs, three different trackers, two of them that uses different things. Um, you know, a lot of times whenever we're in this market, uh, folks will not really invest, but they want to see the solutions. That's what someone that I said was all this crap we invested for the past two years, it better start working. What's the state of technology right now, at least on your neck of the woods, in terms of now that the market's soft, is this when you try to hit the gas or do you have things in the pipeline you want to try to test out with less volumes? You know, from, from ITS, we're always in an evaluation mode. Um, you know, whether it's build, buy, you know, um, develop on your own. We're always looking at it from an ROI standpoint, you know, where are we going to get the return on our investment if we build this or if we buy this and what's to be the quickest return? You know, even though it's a down market, you can't stop what has gotten you here. You got to know the transportation industry is going to come back. Um, we're, we're gassed out. We, we, we feel like right now is a great time to continue to invest and, and, be, and be innovators in the market space. There's so much opportunity out there to create better visibility to your customers. Um, and, and create better um, efficiency internally, you know, and we're, we're never going to get away from the actual people here at ITS, but we are heavily invested in technology. Uh, that's just to come alongside them and create a better work-life balance for them and also to create better visibility to the customers. Biggest low-hanging fruit right now in tech that you guys are implementing, um, at least from my experience, one thing I've heard, and this is from like owner-operator communities, is more acceptance towards 
tracking and more uh, understanding of an ELD tracking solution. When it used to be four years ago, they'd say, heck no, I'm going to wrap my thing in tinfoil because I don't want you to like steal my airwaves or something. Uh, what are some of the big, the biggest tech wins that y'all are, are able to get so far? You know, I think from us, I mean, we got a, we got a pretty cool platform that we're, uh, we're rolling out, we're demoing, we have a few customers that are actually using it. So, um, it, it's, it's giving the visibility, um, on the ocean drayage and coming into the ports and creating that visibility for a lot of the customers that we deal with that, you know, I mean, we could all say it the past couple of years, the demerge and detention charges have just, you know, stifled some of these BCOs. So creating that visibility, but it's really end to end. It brings it into the ports and shows it to where we pick it up. Uh, whether we cross dog or put it one of our dry vans and take it to the end user, it's really creating that visibility, but also exception-based management. Um, technology has gone so much further than the spreadsheets and the Google Docs and customers are tired of having to get all these emails coming back and forth. So us really creating that visibility platform to where it gives exception-based management. Um, that's been a big win for us is just increasing all the overall experience that the customer has with ITS. I remember working with some port ones um, back out of Port of Savannah. And uh, one of the craziest things that I learned when we were converting them, because we'd be truckload. So we'd have Dre pick it up, send it to the cross dock, fit it in, send it full truckload. And the craziest part was they just didn't always know where it was in the stacks. So you'd be getting these PO numbers and like, oh, no, 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 use this one, use this one. Oh, I had to switch this one around. And they're all similar refill shipments to Northern Georgia, but you never could figure out like uh, in terms of visibility. And one more example was a guy who did soap, or is it from South Korea? The visibility is so bad right now that he keeps getting uh, notifications that it's shipped and then that it's delayed because it's either, I'm assuming, not getting partialed into a, a container or maybe somewhere along the line. So is that something where, you know, having such a heavy experience in that uh, is is the biggest bottleneck right now the customers or maybe like the steamship lines or maybe the end-to-end -end, the first leg of the customer shipping it in like what are some of the biggest challenges because you have the platform but is there anyone holding it up for adoption you know i think that there there's a lot of factors that come into that for holding it up and i think that that goes back to some of the the visibility like i was saying is that you know if you can get down to the skew level uh which that's super exciting we're, we're going to be able to uh produce that coming up here shortly, but getting down to the SKU level and being able to give that visibility of where things are at, then you can start narrowing down the bottlenecks in the actual uh, transportation cycle. But it, it's a lot of different things. I mean, you know, with the lack of containers coming in and then when they hit the port, if there's any congestion and then get them over the cross stock and then get them in our drive vans. There's several things that can play a factor into why there are delays. Um, you know, the ports, obviously, every time there's a delay or a strike at one port, then it just pivots to another one. So, that's always going to be a thing. That's never, we're never going to get away from that. Um, so transportation, that's why I think we're all in it. There's always variables that you got to kind of overcome. Well, I think that ties into the labor negotiations almost ties into the relationship building. Cause I'm assuming some warehouses may use unionized labor. Some may use non-unionized labor, but it wouldn't matter if they're still waiting on the, the dock, the longshoremen and the workers to send it in the first chain. Uh, how are the have there been pretty good conversations or are most folks aware of the kind of the situation or is it more like a hurry up and wait? Cause all we hear about right now is the whole UPS and yellow situation with uh, parcel and LTL. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, we have a gentleman here, uh, at ITS. He's very knowledgeable, Paul Brazier. He does quite a bit of stuff in regards to what's going on at the ports. Um, and you know, we're pretty vocal about, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues that are taking place and, um, you know, Within regards to the the YRC and the UPS, I, I agree with you. We I think we hear about this quite a bit, especially on the UPS side, where there's going to be a possible strike. 
And it's kind of just everyone hurry up and wait, see what's going to happen. You know, you got the strike up in Vancouver going on and it's, it's just another thing that goes on in the industry that we have to adjust and adapt to. And, um, I think having the knowledge and understanding of what's taking place and be able to give that proactively to your customers so they can pivot, you know, that's what being a logistics, uh, provider is about. I feel like before COVID had something like this happen, customers would be just screaming from the rooftops, very angry, a lot of vitriol. Cause I remember I started back in 14. So you get some really like really picky customers sometimes. And now with COVID, does it feel like at least they've kind of gotten uh, Hey, it could always be worse situation. I think that, yeah, I think everyone's kind of touched the stove and they know what it feels like. And I feel like everyone's kind of taking a step back saying, Hey, things could be a lot worse. Let's work together. That is one thing I like, because I agree. Over the past years in logistics, it felt like everything was a little bit bifurcated. And now everyone's kind of coming together because everyone went through such turmoil, you know, over uh, during COVID. So I think that's kind of where, you know, everyone's looking at it from a brighter light saying, you know, things could be a lot worse. And you guys are, y'all are multimodal. So I think this is really cool. Um, when I was putting my notes here, let's pull it up here. Um, asset light, intermodal, expedited, dedicated. When we talk about dedicated, I am curious because dedicated usually means two different things. In truckload, I did dedicated where we take over a target DC or something or a, a dollar general and we'd manage the trans. But is your dedicated solution is one where you normally just putting carriers in dedicated lanes and finding capacity or you take over the whole warehouse ops and then source? So we do both. Um, our What we call dedicated, we just had this conversation too because I, I grew up learning dedicated is exactly that. Like let's get a set group of drivers that run static business and that's what they do. To us, dedicated is full service, all miles paid. You know, you have the same drivers in there um, and they run the same routes every single day and they have maybe like, you know, night deliveries. But our dedicated solution is exactly what you're talking about. We own a facility or we'll own specific lanes and we do maybe the cross stock, the Haas lane out of that whole entire DC. So it's an own, you know, full encompassing uh, bid package and that you have drivers running nonstop. And then we have the the, the contracted piece, which is the static lanes, you know, committed pricing, whether that's, um, you know, volume or waterfall. Yeah. That's what I was curious about. Cause I remember the craziest ones we did, uh, this was back at us express. We do dedicated packages, but it was funny because the folks they had were in the pricing group and they had their own little software that would tell you X amount of trucks with Y amount of lanes and everything. And then they would just send this out and then everyone else had to pick it up. Uh, looking at the inside of warehouses and other stuff, when you do these dedicated things, does it give you any specific insights into how some of these customers are performing? Is there any cool takeaways? Because I've seen some customers that are still barely figuring out EDI and they don't even know their own internal processes. And I've some that are like fully on board with API into invisibility. We need our partners to do it. Uh, are things getting better or are we still in the trenches on warehousing, uh, at least in that DC outbound kind of scenario? You know, it's, it's, it's softening up a little bit. I think that with the over, you know, over stocking of all the warehouses that kind of got everyone on, on, you know, on their heels. But I think right now with, with at least what we're seeing is it's staying pretty, uh, pretty set on what the bid is or what amount of runs that we should be running. We're not getting a lot of, you know, canceled, uh, canceled lanes or canceled deliveries. So that to me assures that actually people are starting to buy a little bit more and that they're actually, uh, projections are, are accurate. And I think that is a huge thing where, you know, a couple of years ago, people were projecting out certain lines of business and then they would not fulfill those. And what happened was they started burning relationships with the drivers and with the providers. I mean, for us, when we open up a, a dedicated solution, we hire drivers, we have HR, we have safety, we have everything at the facility. And, you know, that's a lot of overhead. That's a lot of cost that goes into it. And if you start 
canceling lanes or having changes to the overall uh, dedicated solution, you know, that really looks poorly on the warehouse that's supposed to be producing all of the packages coming out. I think that's the, a really great takeaway that you just highlighted because I remember before COVID and before the tech, you can get a down market, but it's a large carrier. Let's say I need to fill the bucket, 7,000 loads a week for like 2,500 trucks. Uh, the problem would be the customers would perp either accidentally or they just didn't have the visibility and they would say, okay, I'll give you 100, but they keep only sending like 25. And then in Q4, they send like 125 and then they get mad at you and it's like, you, we, we agreed to 100, my friend, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's, why you got to stay agile as a, as a transportation company that comes back to the relationship. I mean, Hey, what is, what, it, what is your guys's, uh, projections look like for this quarter? What does it look like for the back end of the year? Because you got to be able to stay flexible. I think that's a great thing about, you know, being an ITS is a, a lot of times when there, that does happen, we have the ability to stay flexible, putting our, our trailers in facilities. And, you know, if they flex up, you know, 25, 30% above what they, they have historically done, we have that able, uh, ability to, flex with our trailers and maybe use partner partner power and or our own assets and trailer pools are a big one i've noticed that's one thing over the past few years we're seeing a lot more use brokerages are investing in trailers now we see trailer uh, i think wabash and a few others have the trailer sharing programs when you're looking at those solutions you want to get to a customer you want to offer them preloaded trailers is the strategy still at the moment you want to buy your own and control your own, or is there that opportunity to integrate tech and solutions to have some of these to cover any differences? Like if I need 20 more, maybe I'll go with a, a provider that gives me flex leasing trailers or something. Yeah, you know, we've, we've done both lease trailers, purchase trailers. Um, I think that is the nice part about having a lease program is that during peak, you know, if you have an influx of trailers, you're able to do that. Um, technology is a huge play. Having an asset management system, the utilization of your tra your trailers is is hugely important. Um, I think that's a lot of times where people say, I got to go rent some more trailers. But meanwhile, you know, you're only utilizing 70% of your current trailer base. So um, having that visibility, again, it goes back to the tech. Um, but I think for us, like at ITS, we're, we're invested in having our, you know, placard ITS trailers and having that representation, that marketing at our customer's facility. Are y'all utilizing uh, telematics as well if they're empty, loaded cargo cameras? I was one of my biggest problems I ran into when I managed trailer pools is you'd have a pool of 250 at a, like a Procter and Gamble. But the problem was that either they didn't know cause they only checked their yard once a day or they were purposely not telling you because they needed that extra warehouse space and you're only paying 15 bucks a day in demurrage. <laughs> no, that's funny. I know. So we're going through all of our trailers. Any ones that do not have that and we're putting the weight, uh, weight thing in there where it's going to actually show what's been unloaded, what's offloaded, what's loaded. Um, we have looked at the cameras as well. Uh, we had some some pushback a little bit, interesting enough, at some of the locations where some people loading the, the trailers didn't like being on camera. But um, I hear you when it comes to that. No customers are going to sit here and want to go out there and search, you know, 150 trailers, tell you which ones are loaded or not, especially if they can get a little extra storage out of it for, you know, 15, 20 bucks a day. Well, I think that's fun, too. The pushback from the customer, they'll say it's because we don't want our employees filmed. But I've seen customers purposefully they know that they have a weak link and they load them wrong or there's excess shifts. I noticed this with beverage customers because you have they weren't shrink trapped right. And so if you had the visibility in there, you could say, oh, it wasn't me. It was y'all. And then they have to go back and pay the charge instead of making the carrier. Or you all have to deal with the OSD. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've seen that too, especially with high volume customers. You can see where they, you know, don't want to have that film because they're rushing to load, to load the trailers. But I think from what we've done in regards to like with our SOPs is anytime we have any situation where there's a tilted pallet during transition, we, we, what we do is we'll have the drivers start taking pictures uh, before they head out and just 
always taking a picture, uploading into our system. That way we have full visibility of what's going on. Um, that way we can go back and have the conversation with the customer. And if there's a situation where something does till during, uh, you know, transportation that we can have a conversation with the driver as well. I think that's the hardest part. When we talk about relationships, we talk about the higher level things, but some of the simple things like, Hey, will you give my driver access to go back and take a picture before it's shipped? And uh, the trust in that I'm not going to try to nail you to the wall if something happens and then vice versa. As soon as something goes wrong, don't just assume the driver didn't do his due diligence with the load bars. Because some of them won't let your drivers go back there, but their rate con says you should have. And then you're just like, ah, you know, I feel like that's the real challenging conversation is changing habits. Yeah. And also too, what's the end goal? Like what's your, what's your end goal with your customer? If they're going to say, we don't want you having your drivers go back, uh, for any other reason outside, hey, it's not safe for them to go back. You know, we the only reason why we do it is so we can we can safely take the product from one point to the other and get it delivered in one piece. And isn't that the whole you know objective of what we do in this transportation? So if we're implementing things to help our customer out, there should be no reason why uh, there should be any pushback. But again, that goes back to having that well-established trust and relationship with your customer. Especially in the market conditions now, as all that matters. Uh, folks, Manny, if folks want to learn more about ITS, get in contact or check out uh, more of your information, what's the best way to reach out? You know, definitely go on my LinkedIn. Um, I think that's the best way to go about it. I'm always available. Um, my email or phone number, give me a call anytime. I think that the more we can share, you know, industry knowledge and uh, it strengthens all of us around, the better off we're going to be. Knowledge is power, sir. Thank you so much. Pleasure getting to interview you as well. Going to keep checking out the tech and uh, keeping on what you're working on. Yep, more to come. Thank you so much. That's going to be a wrap for this show, but you can check us out at freightwaves.com slash loaded and rolling for the newsletter. And if you miss this, it'll be on YouTube, freightwaves.com. I think it's YouTube slash C slash freightwaves. We'll also be on Apple and Spotify if you like podcasts. Uh, join us, though, for the newsletter on Thursdays at 1 p.m. And we'll be back live uh, next Tuesday, 1 p.m. as well. That's a wrap for today. See you next week. We'll do it live.